0: On today's show, the Hawks just can't stop hanging around the 500 mark this season, plus a Jalen Johnson update on the injury front, mailbag questions, and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1435 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I'm your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you for joining us on today's episode and making us your first listen here at Lots on Hawks each and every day. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and across the board. Today's show is going to be going to be a grab bag of sorts. Some mailbag questions coming later in the episode, injury updates, standings talk, uh, projections, and also at the end of the podcast, a little bit of a Pistons preview of the game on Tuesday as Detroit visits Atlanta for Atlanta's 72nd game of the season, but first, a news update from this afternoon on Monday. The, uh, the Hawks announced that Jalen Johnson had an MRI on Monday after missing the last two games with what they were calling hamstring tightness, and that he has been diagnosed with a quote mild left hamstring strain and mild left groin strain." End quote. He's going to be out for at least a week. That's was actually reevaluation timeline is going to be. So, as I always say, reevaluation does not mean return. So, one week from now on Monday, he'll be reevaluated. But in the meantime, he's going to miss at least four more games. That'll be six total. And It could be longer, obviously, than that, but at least that long. And this is not great, obviously. It's not going to be a serious injury. That's probably a good thing, of course, for the Hawks and for Jalen Johnson. But he's, had, he's obviously come, coming on pretty strong this year, uh, showing lots of different intriguing skills. In his absence the last two games, the Hawks kind of went, went with the other nine guys that you would expect. AJ Griffin's been playing in his absence. Um, if Johnson is out for you know four-plus games, I expect more of Sadiq Bay more of John Collins probably, more of Griffin, of course. as probably the primary beneficiary of the minutes, but they're all different players. Jalen has a different skill set, of course, than really anyone on the roster does. So that's that's unfortunate for the Hawks. Obviously, he's kind of been his rookie season in some respects, which we'll come back to later on in the show a little bit as I answer some mailbag questions. But uh, fingers crossed he can come back before the end of the season and uh, be 100% and not have any hindrances. But for now, hold your breath, and it'll be reevaluating him in a week from today. From there, uh, kind of a stat that was making the rounds all day today on Monday that I got a lot of questions about. So I'm going to kind of talk about that now. John Schumann of NBA.com had this. And just for the record, the streak was going to continue whether the Hawks won or lost on Sunday because they started out the Spurs game at 500, but it's still an amazing stat. And it is. The Hawks have been within one game of 500 for 25 consecutive games, either one game above, one game below, or at 500. And Justin Kabatko indicated that's actually. Currently tied for the longest streak in NBA history with the 2014-15 Pelicans, and the Hawks actually will probably break that record by getting back to 500 on Tuesday. Now, nothing is assured. If the Hawks were to lose to the Pistons, they'd actually would have that have their, the streak snapped. But if they win, as they are expected to do on Tuesday, they'll be back to 500 again, and it'll be even 27 games or longer by the time this is over. It's maybe fair to say this is more random than anything else, but it's also a reminder that just how kind of average the Hawks have been this year. And it's kind of been maddening in some respects, inconsistent, all that stuff. But for 71 games, you know, this is not like early in the season that happened. Like when 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 New Orleans did it, um, the the early record, I looked this up earlier today, it was more in the middle of the season. The Hawks have been doing this in the second half of the season. So it's kind of more indicative of what they actually are. And again, they are a 500 team through and through, thick and thin this year, pre-nate, post-nate. Injury stuff, all that, and that's kind of what they are. But it was kind of just a weird stat, but one got a lot that got a lot of attention because anytime you have an NBA record kind of stat like that, it is uh, going to turn, uh, turn some heads at this point in the season. Uh, before some mailbag questions start happening, um, some standings and projection stuff now. So as of Monday, as I record this podcast, the Hawks are off today, of course. The Raptors are off as well, and the Heat are off. So the teams that the Hawks are closest to in the standings are all off on the schedule on Monday. So the Hawks are at 35-36 overall. And they're three games behind Miami for the seventh seed. The Heat have not been special this year at all, but they're you know still up three games on the Hawks with 11 to go. That's a pretty massive cushion, especially because Miami has the tiebreaker on Atlanta. So it's really a four game deficit. And really, if the Hawks want to win the division and pass the Heat, they probably have to go like nine and two or 10 and one. That's not unbelievably ridiculous, but certainly not likely to happen at this point. And uh, I think almost more importantly now, the Hawks are only a half game ahead of Toronto. The Raptors were actually winning for a large part of the game on Sunday night against Milwaukee on the road, but they ended up losing. So if the Raptors had won that game, the Hawks would have been down to ninth today. But Toronto's 12-6 in the last 18 games. They're playing their best basketball of the season right now. So that's a little bit of a threat to Atlanta. Um, the Hawks do have the tiebreaker over the Raptors, which is definitely very helpful uh, if they were to tie. The Hawks will have the nod there head-to-head. They did lose it to Miami. Uh, and the Bulls, by the way, who are right behind the Raptors, actually uh, have they two of lead on the Hawks right now. They, they, they do play the Bulls again, so that's, that tiebreaker record is still up in the air at this point. Uh, behind Toronto is the Bulls and the Pacers. They're both playing tonight, so I'm not going to go way into specifics on that at this point. But Chicago is the closest team, and the team most likely to pass the Hawks other than the Raptors, so keep an eye on the Bulls as well. But I think most of the focus should be on the Raptors and the heat around the Hawks right now. Of course, on the Hawks and how they actually perform is the most important thing happening around the organization. Projection-wise, right now, 538 Raptor model has the Hawks at 41 and 41 with a 43% chance to make the eight-team eventual playoffs. Um, they're actually projected though ninth behind Toronto because Toronto again is playing well right now. The Hawks do have the tiebreaker though, so that they they have to actually lose to Toronto. They, if they tie, they win the tiebreaker. But the Hawks do have the sixth hardest remaining schedule in the league by winning percentage as of today. Toronto is right in the middle of the pack, so a more difficult schedule for Atlanta. Um, The ELO model, 538, actually has the Hawks with one less win at 40 and 42. ESPN's model has 40.7 wins for the Hawks and a 39% chance of the playoffs. So um, basically any model that I saw today has the Hawks either at 40 wins or 41 wins. And that basically is the nature of 71 games being played so far and a large sample of the Hawks being 500, even with pretty good injury luck and all that fun stuff um one more question here in fact i got a question uh, from a listener named yusuf about the most likely projected record the hawks might have over the final 11 games so i'm gonna go get my game very quickly here and i'll use 538 for some context as well because that's publicly available um the hawks and we'll come back to this later on in the podcast are huge favorites on tuesday against detroit so i'm gonna guess that's gonna be probably a win not a definite win by any means but if they get that they would be back to 500 for the season uh, Wednesday is a tur- is a back to back turnaround in Minnesota. That's a game they're, prob- they're probably underdogs in because it's a road back to back against a pretty decent team. Uh, then they come back home for Saturday and Sunday against the Pacers and Grizzlies. They'll be a pretty big favorite against Indiana. Uh, Memphis probably more of a clo- uh, more of a toss up because it's a back to back and Memphis is pretty good. Um, Tuesday, the following Tuesday, will be at home against the Caps. Kind of a quick flip game because Cleveland's better than Atlanta, but it's obviously on the road for the Caps in that game. Uh, next Friday, they pl- they play in Brooklyn. I would say the Hawks are maybe a slight underdog. Maybe coin flip stuff in that one as well. 538 gives the Hawks a 42% chance to win that game next Friday in Brooklyn. Sunday, April 2nd, they play the Mavs at home. I think probably a small favorite, maybe closer to to toss stuff in that game as well. Then Tuesday, April 4th in Chicago, same kind of thing. I mean, the Hawks are better than the Bulls, but still on the road. Challenge there. Wednesday, April 5th against Washington at home. The Hawks are the better team, but with back-to-back and travel, that's a pretty tough spot. And by the way, the Hawks have been pretty bad on back-to-backs this year compared to other teams. So they have three left and, uh, and Toronto, Chicago, have, have, sorry, fewer of those uh, back-to-backs coming on the rest of the season, maybe a small favorite in that game uh, against Washington, but uh, you know, back-to-back turn, turn around all that stuff. Uh, and then the last two games of the season are Friday, April 7th at home against Philly. Philly is really good. So that maybe it's, uh, maybe that's a toss up at home because the Hawks have been good at home this year, but still, and then the last game of the year is at Boston on April 9th. Now, there's some variance there because the, the Celtics could be locked into a playoff seat and maybe pump that game. But if they try, the Hawks would be underdogs in that game. Obviously Boston's pretty good and it's a game on the road. So that's a lot of content in a short period of time, but in short, the Hawks would be big favorites, notable favorites twice in the last 11 games. Then there's a seven game sample of the Hawks being probably between like 40% to win and 60% to win. It's like a pre effective, like in the middle kind of toss up kind of schedule. For seven of the 11 games and then there'll be a notable underdog i think twice so essentially projected to be like five and six or six and five something like that over the course of the last 11 games there is clear variance there obviously an eight and three would not shock me as a result in a positive direction but unfortunately for the hawks neither would three and eight or four and seven so i think basically uh this is what you can expect from the hawks at this point in time could they run the table and get a little bit hot at the end of the season? Certainly they could. And they've done it the last two years, but this has been a different team. They've waited longer this year than other years to actually get hot and make a run. And uh, the schedule is not terribly easy the rest of the way either. So, to answer the question, I would say either five and six or six and five is the most likely the projection uh, with some variance around that at this point. All right. We'll get into the rest of our podcast and some mailbag questions, et cetera, coming up. But first, it were from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The best time of year is here in the college basketball world. Plus, this restaurant is also upon us in the NBA. It is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. If you're a new customer, get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 with FanDuel. That means bonus bets coming back to you. If your first bet does not win, download the app right now. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. You can bet on anything you're looking for in the sports world, including point spreads, totals, money lines, player props, live odds, future bets, and more. The Hawks are back at home on Tuesday to face the Pistons at home. They'll be favorites in that game, but we'll have plenty to cover along the way, including live betting options in the middle of the game itself. From there, I'll also find exclusive bets at FanDuel. And if you're looking for a same game parlay, you can combine bets together for a bigger payout at FanDuel. Don't miss the chance to get a no-swipe first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, versus support partner of the NBA. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. All right. And a very simple question from a listener named Vernon, who says, have the Hawks been better this year or were they better last year? And it's kind of funny. They have the same exact record in the first 71 games at 35 and 36. Last year's team, though, had a net rating that was about a full point better, which is not a small gap for over that kind of large sample size. So I would immediately lean in last year's direction because of that. We don't know how this year's team is going to finish, obviously. But last year's team did finish eight and three in the last 11 to get up to 43 wins. Not likely to happen, but certainly possible for this year as well. Um, another big factor is that last year's team had a lot more injury questions than this year's team does, which obviously is a, a nod in the direction of last year's team's being better, actually, because Collins, Hunter, and Congo almost all played less than two-thirds of the game last year, plus there was the deadline. Um, this year they actually kind of bought the deadline, getting Sadiq Bay. Last year's team actually traded one of the rotation pieces in Cam Reddish midseason. Now, that might have actually made them better, to be honest with you, unfortunately for Cam. But no matter what, they didn't like make huge changes either season. I've said before, but this year's team does not have an injury excuse. The only key guy who's played less than 55 games so far is Bogey, who the Hawks could have and should have planned around because he was already hurt over the summer. They already knew he's going to be out for a long time. So I mean, he's, he's actually been felt fairly healthy since coming back. So no long injuries, no unexpected injuries, nothing huge, like not perfect health, but certainly I would say above average health for this year's season. Uh, seven of the 10 guys that are at the top of the list have played 61 games or more. And the only one of those guys um, beyond that is Sadiq Bey, who came in mid So of their top 10, their obvious and clear top 10, essentially eight of them have been there all year long, and the other two have not been gone that long. So pretty healthy. I could do a whole podcast on this probably, but the Hawks were better last year than this year in my mind. And that is pretty maddening, obviously, because the Hawks used three first-round picks, including two unprotected picks to get to, to, get to Jontay Murray. They, did, they, they, they got a pick back for Kevin Herter, but still – they clearly have pushed in some chips, not all of them, but some chips for this year trying to win now. And even if, if it was not the only reason by any stretch of the imagination that Murray trade happened, and he's not the reason why they're losing or anything like that, but to do all that and then have better injury luck and have the same record and have the worst metrics is not what they wanted, obviously. And uh, we'll get into that later on and going into the offseason as we always do on the podcast, but to short, to shortly answer the question, I think last year's team is pretty clearly better on paper than this year's team. And uh, that's unfortunate because the Hawks obviously spent a lot of capital to improve between last year and this year. A question here. um, I'm realizing now I forgot to write the name down this person. So my apologies on that. But the question is basically what is more likely between Jalen Johnson starting at the four next season on opening night or a Kong Wu starting at the five on opening night next season. Pretty interesting question. I think there is one side that is much more likely to be honest. And I think that's probably going to be a Kong Wu. It's not a lock, but for one, Okongwu is entering his fourth season of his rookie contract. There is a sense that they probably have to finally choose between he and Capella at some point in the near future. I've said it a million times, but that's not it's not a bad thing to have both of them. I've argued that the Hawks might have the best 48 minutes of center in the league because Kongwu is, in my mind, the best backup center in the entire NBA. And Capella is still a at least average starter, if not better than that. So they've been, they're, they're pretty good at center still. But they obviously have a lot of resources uh, allocated there between Capella's salary and between the draft pick on who's play- making real money now. So I think when they drafted Okongwu, the plan was to have him starting by now. But Capella kind of earned his way to stick around. Okongwu had some injury issues, all that stuff. I can't tell you for sure that is going to start next year because Capella is still good and trades, you cannot just say that they're, they're definitely going to happen. But there's a decent chance for sure that is the guy next year if they move off from Clint, etc. cetera. What makes this clearly in favor of a Kong would be more likely for me, though, is a couple of different things beyond that. One is that there's still a world where the Hawks, a keep Collins or B they trade Collins and Johnson still doesn't start because they could go with Sadiq Bay. I won't argue that either way right now, but the Hawks certainly would not surprise me if they, if they traded Collins and then plan to start Sadiq and obviously play Jay on a lot, but it would not be a a shock to me. Um, That's a reasonable outcome. Then you have the fact that even with Jalen's ceiling being really high, he is a lot less proven than a Uh, not even close. Johnson, his rookie year was basically a washout in terms of on court development. Obviously, he still got better because he was in the league and playing basketball. But as far as like seasons are concerned, this year's kind of his rookie year in some ways. Um, and he's kind of played that kind of role. He'll be in year three next year with a lot less experience than Okongwu had at this point in time. Okongwu's going to be a year ahead of him, a lot more proven, a lot more projectable at this moment in time than Johnson is. And again, I think for me, a was like a top 25 or 30 center in the league already. And again, best back up in the league at center. Johnson's not that proven. His upside is very high. And I think his flashes have been very, very intriguing. But as far as like for next year only, a Okongwu was almost certainly going to be a better player than Johnson. And uh, I think the Hawks probably would not just anoint Jalen as the guy quote unquote, if they were to trade Collins this summer. And again, they could not trade either one of these guys. But if I had to guess which one is more likely to happen, I would say a starting at the five is more likely than Jalen at the four. Uh, question here from, uh, from, I believe this is, yes, from John. There you go. Uh, Tyler mentioned Aaron Holiday not playing as a small reason why the Hawks defense has gotten worse. I had not thought of that at all, but could that really be true? Thank you again for the question. Uh, First, the question first to my guy, Tower Jones, a frequent guest on this podcast and a very passionate Hawks fan. He gets fired up and made uh, mentions of Aaron Holiday when he's talking about the defensive issues for the Hawks the last couple of days. Uh, To answer the question, the Hawks have actually very good defensive numbers when Aaron Holiday plays this year. They have a 110.1 defensive rating. That's very good, even if with some garbage time built in. If you remove garbage time like cleaning the glass does, the Hawks are still better defensively when Aaron plays than when he doesn't. And that makes sense because Aaron Holiday, in my mind, is the best defensive guard on the roster. He's not as good or as versatile as someone like as someone like DeLon Wright was last year because he is so small. But he is their best on ball defender. He executes well, etc. The problem, though, obviously, is that the offense will be worse with Aaron Holiday. He'd be their worst offensive player of the guys who play on the roster right now, as far as like the rotation guys. He's also worse on offense than guys like Garrison Matthews, who actually he'd be competing with for time. So. Obviously, Tyler was not suggesting that they have to start playing Aaron Holiday a ton of minutes, but as far as the question is concerned, if they if they played Aaron Holiday, the defense would improve. I feel, I feel very confident about that. I think that's pretty much borne out in the numbers. Unfortunately, it would still hurt the offense quite a bit, and I think Aaron is like the 11th or 12th best player on the roster, depending on how you feel about Garrison Matthews or Bruno Fernando. But um, yeah, interesting stuff there because the Hawks, I asked your question last week on the mailbag, actually, about how you know, the Hawks could really use a defense first guard with more size and that's kind of Aaron holiday, but taller, you know, Aaron can shoot a three, but offensively can't really handle the ball at all. And he is so small that his impact is not that big on defense, but with Murray disappointing this year with Trey, with bogey, with Griffin, with Bay all being pretty bad defenders, um, Aaron would help them on defense. It would just hurt them on offense, which is why he doesn't play. There you go. Um, All right. We have more questions to answer. Actually, I have at least one more, and then I'll have a Pistons preview at the end of the podcast. For those things, though, it were from our sponsors on the show today. All right, we'll dive back in now with a question about the NBA draft, actually. And it comes from Xander, who says, What are the best Sweet 16 matchups for the Hawks and the draft? I, He says, and uh, I don't like the I don't like college basketball, but I do like the Hawks and the draft, so I want to know who to watch this weekend. So uh, Thursday has four games in the NCAA tournament, and Friday has four games, and they're all Sweet 16 games, so I'm going to kind of quickly preview these from the NBA standpoint. Again, I love college basketball. Not everybody does. I understand that. But uh, draft-wise, some pretty decent games. Now, there is a couple of uh, games to more ignore than others. Um, On Thursday, uh, the West Region games are the ones to watch, I would say. Uh, The first one is Arkansas and UConn. Arkansas has Nick Smith Jr., Anthony Black, and Ricky Council, among others. Um, Nick Smith was a huge recruit. He's been struggling recently. Missed a bunch of time with injuries this year. Probably a lottery pick. And probably gonna be out of the Hawks' range, but someone who could, who certainly could be uh, you know a big time shot creator in the NBA. Anthony Black is like a do it everything, like I could do everything, six seven kind of guard guy who I like a lot from Arkansas. Um, passes, defense, etc. I have him as like a top ten ish guy on my on my on my board, but could be more that mid first round for some people. Ricky Council had a good game the other day. Uh, he's very athletic. Could be like a top forty ish pick from arkansas and then yukon has some guys as well jordan hawkins is like a top 20 guy for me a three and d wing probably is probably the easiest way to will put that kind of a good movement shooter andre jackson's on yukon as well good defender good passer and donovan Klingon is more of a project but a seven foot freshman center with some skills um so yeah that game is gonna be pretty interesting in the west in the first game on thursday and then the west also has ucla and gonzaga as the last game of the night ucla has no like first rounders probably Jaime haquez is the closest thing to that i like him a lot Really smart, good defender, plays hard. People are pretty mixed on him. I have him in like a top 40 range for me. Adem Bona is a draftable big man, been banged up a little bit recently. Amari Bailey was a big-time high school prospect at one point in time. He's been playing more recently. Uh, Gonzaga has Julian Strother, who is like a you know, six eight, three and D kind of forward shooter type. More three than D at this point. Defensively, he's kind of a step slow. Reminds me a little bit about Sadiq Bay actually. Bay was a better prospect than Strother, but kind of similar like shooter, but slow-footed eight forwards. Um, and then Drew Timmy is kind of a prospect, but kind of not. He's more college basketball adjacent, but could be a guy that people, people talk about in the next couple of weeks on the draft side. Uh, there are two other games on Thursday, but uh, they are Florida Atlantic, Tennessee, Michigan State, Kansas State not the best prospect games. If there's one guy to watch in those games, I would say Julian Phillips out of Tennessee is like a potential first round pick, three and D kind of forward type. The other three teams have some interesting players, but not like top 50 guys for me um, on Friday. I'd probably, with, again, all due respect, I'd probably skip Creighton Princeton. If I had to pick one to skip, I will say though, Creighton has some guys that could be second round picks. Um, Arthur Kaluma, uh, they, you know, Nemhart, um, Baylor Shireman, they have some interesting guys. It's not a great evaluation opportunity because Princeton is not really professional level uh, athletes to be defending them. So there's something on that. Alabama plays on Friday. Obviously, he has, they have Brandon Miller, who's the consensus top five pick in the draft. Uh, also Noah Clowney, who I've seen between like 25 and 45. On a lot of boards, more of a big-man athletic guy. Um, San Diego State is against them. They don't have great prospects, but they really play defense. They're good They're, they're good athletically, so they'll kind of push Miller and Clowney in that game. Uh, Miami and Houston play on Friday. Pretty decent prospect game, I think, in my mind. Isaiah Wong is ACC Player of the Year for Miami. Could be an interesting second-round pick guard. Houston has Jarris Walker, who's a lottery pick for sure for me. Kind of a beast of a forward. Guards, uh, rebounds, creates havoc on both ends of the floor. Marcus Sasser is like a fringe first rounder, veteran guard for Houston. Um, he's been he's been hobbled a little bit recently with a groin issue, but he actually looked like himself on uh, the second game of Houston's run last weekend. So that's a guy to keep an eye on for sure. And then the last game of the day on Friday is Xavier versus Texas. And I think Xavier has one guy to circle for sure. And that's Colby Jones, a very potential Hawks like top 20 pick. Uh, six, eight, six, sorry, six, six wing, good slasher, good passer. He can guard probably more of a shooting guard, but could play some three first round guy for me. Very talented, good basketball IQ, and all that stuff. So I like him a lot. And then Texas doesn't have great prospects. They do have a lot of athletes though. Dylan Mitchell is a draftable guy, former top ten recruit in a high school level. They have some, have uh, some good length. They play a fun style. So that'll be fun to watch that game in general. So overall, that's not not the absolute best slate of draft based evaluation games this weekend but still enough for sure to get into it. Even if you don't like college basketball, and I do like college basketball quite a bit, but uh, there's something for everybody in most of those games. All right. And lastly, before we get out of here, a Pistons preview of sorts. Um, The Hawks play the Pistons on Tuesday. Detroit is 0-3 against the Hawks this year. The Hawks beat them twice in a row in October, a long time ago. And then the Hawks beat them again before Christmas. They haven't played in three months. uh, The Hawks and Pistons have not. But Detroit, um, just to lay it out there, is probably the worst team in the league at this point they have the worst record in the league they're three and nineteen in the last 22 games and their only wins came at home against terrible teams they beat the hornets spurs and the tyrese halliburtonless pacers those are the only wins in the last 22 games they all came at home against bad teams detroit is 727 on the road this year they're awful on the road um bottom three in the league in offense and defense um they will offense rebound quite a bit and free throw creation is a good strength of theirs as well but um those are areas the Hawks have to probably focus on in this game but um they're awful shooting-wise. They don't shoot the ball well at all. They come in a lot of turnovers on offense. The Hawks are pretty bad defensively, for sure. In the recent days, they're 27th in defensive rating. this the all-star break, but nothing is assured there. But still, defensively, the Pistons are basically bad at everything, to be honest with you. Um, and, top of everything else, they have a lot of injuries. So, here are the guys that are out for Detroit in the game on Tuesday. Kay Cunningham, still out. Boyan McDonovich, Jalen Duran, Isaiah Stewart, Alec Burks, Hamadou Diallo. That is probably six of their top... 11 guys on the roster coming into the season. So there's that. Uh, Also questionable, Isaiah Livers and RJ Hampton. They're playing two bigs a lot. They have James Wiseman uh, there now as well. Um, Not a lot of spacing going on. Jaden Ivey is a high, high, high pedigree player, top five pick, et cetera. But he's not a good player right now as a rookie. Um, Very bad true shooting. Very bad advanced metrics this year. Has the ball a lot. Has high upside for sure. Um, This is not a crap on Jaden Ivey point here. It's that rookie guards are often bad, and he's still pretty bad at this point in time. So he's their definitely their highest usage play on offense right now so anyway they have all the makings of a bad team i'll just say that the hawks do have one injury concern in this game beyond joe johnson who's still out of course Dejounte murray is questionable with a non-covid illness so if he doesn't play that obviously would weaken the hawks offensively and going back to aaron holiday if murray doesn't play i would expect aaron to make an appearance um we'll see if murray plays or not but they kind of have to play aaron holiday if Dejounte is not available just for somebody else that can handle the ball a little bit Um, maybe garrison matthews plays i'm not sure but there you go um and lastly Our friends at FanDuel have the Hawks as a 12-point favorite right now in the game on Tuesday. That is one of the three or four biggest spreads of the year for Atlanta and coming off of a horrible loss against the Spurs on Sunday. If you missed it, by the way, I talked about that ad nauseum on Sunday afternoon into Monday. I encourage you to listen to that podcast. But after that game, I would be hard-pressed to see the Hawks overlooking the Pistons because they played so badly on Sunday afternoon. I'm sure the coaching staff will be letting them know that quite a bit between then and Tuesday. And then, again, looking ahead to Wednesday, a pretty tough back-to-back turnaround in Minnesota, So they got to get this game on Tuesday. It'd be a very bad loss under any circumstances, really, even without Murray it'd be a bad loss. So we'll get into all that later on. But certainly a game where the Hawks are favored for a reason. They're the better team. They're the healthier team. They're playing at home. They're on normal rest. All those things go in their favor and a loss there would be uh, certainly uh, panic inducing on some level for a lot of people. Okay. That's enough for me on this Monday evening into Tuesday. Please subscribe to the podcast across podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, also on YouTube on the video side, likes and reviews and clicks and all that fun stuff. I really do appreciate it. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Rowland. Also my written work over at patreon.com slash BT Roland. Thanks for listening, everybody, one more time. And we'll see you after the game on Tuesday.